Hello and welcome. This is Inside Texas, sponsored by InsideTexas.com. We are very excited to bring you some information today. We've got a massive game coming up, and we're going to go through all your favorites. We've got Ian on the show. We've got Cookie on the show. We've got Paul, and we've got the boss himself, Eric Nalin. But before we do that, we want to do a new segment that we're working on. So much of what Inside Texas is is well, information, insightful, thoughtful information. And we thought we would give you an opportunity to hear the other side of that. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Alternative Facts, Inside Texas's deep dive into the information that a lot of people aren't talking about. First, let's talk experience. The University of Washington is a wildly experienced team with super seniors, six-year starters, people that know what they're doing. But what most pundits aren't talking about is the fact that Washington started playing football in 1889. The University of Texas didn't start playing football until 1893. Obviously, this is a major advantage. Most of the players on the University of Texas weren't even born in 1893. Advantage Washington. Size matters. Ask any Texan and they'll tell you that. They've got an advantage, especially a geographical advantage. Now, Washington State is home to 7.7 million souls. For a point of reference for our Texas folks, that's almost as big as the DFW Metroplex. Advantage Texas. Let's talk mascots. The University of Texas has a mascot that is, of course, a majestic creature, a bull, a majestic bull. Whereas the University of Washington is named after the local big bone children. Advantage, Texas. <laughs> Lastly, let's talk quarterback. Obviously, both quarterbacks from the University of Texas, Quinn Ewers, and the University of Washington, Michael Penix Jr., have been playing two years for their respective teams. However, because of transfers, they're both transfers, Michael Penix has been playing football for 37 years. To me, it's a push. We appreciate you checking in with Alternative Facts for those deep dives into information that no one else is talking about. Here we go, we got the full squad coming up. Wait a minute, who do we got? Who's missing here? There's a special friend. That is missing. And who's that person? That's our Eric Nalin. Why is Eric not on here? There he is. There's our special boy. How's it going, Eric? You good? He's muted. Ugh. Oh, my God. There I am. I'm back. Yeah, quit referring to me as the boss, please. That's that's embarrassing. You find that embarrassing. Okay. I well, I guess you stop signing the checks and we can, uh, we can avoid that altogether. Hey, that works. All right. Let's check in with Joey. Hey, Cookie. How you doing, man? How, you're, doing. you're in New Orleans. I am. I'm uh, right off of Canal Street, so right in the thick of the action. The Superdome's over that shoulder, and Bourbon Street's over that computer screen, so I'm right in the middle where I need to be. That's great, and you've had some time to spend in practice. What are you seeing? What's the general vibe of the team? Yeah, so on Thursday, uh, we were able to check out a 15-minute viewing window, something required by the Bull, something we haven't really been able to do since back in the preseason during training camp. Um, and during preseason, I kind of remember that 
you know, Steve Sarkeesian, he can be mild mannered in press settings, but when he needs to dial up the intensity, he can do that like that. Um, and the, and the bowl practice that I saw on Thursday, uh, was just like that. He was intense. Uh, he was on little details like ball security, um, just focused on all the little aspects. And, you know, he talked a little bit earlier this week when he arrived. Um, and even before then, I think dating back to signing day, uh, speaking about being able to know when to push the gas, when to rear back on the reins a little bit and knowing how to manage the team without overworking them. So they're hitting the right marks heading into Monday. Uh, it looks like judging off of Thursday's practice that uh, he's keeping things intense and, and keeping everybody as focused as they were or should have been, you know, in training camp for Oklahoma state week for, uh, you know, the Kansas game for any games he's, he's been intense. And um, I think you can kind of see that with how the, the team spoke uh, at various opportunities. They're confident um, like they have all year. They've respected every opponent. Uh, but even, I think Steve Sarkeesian even said, we respect all, but fear none. And that's a mentality they they've taken with their uh, public comments and a mentality they've taken uh, throughout the, the course of this end of the year and, and lead up into the new year and the Sugar Bowl. Have you noticed any differences, uh, obviously practices throughout the years? Is there a difference in pace or different in intensity? What, what are you noticing? Is there a difference in practices or is, is Sark keeping it pretty down the straight and narrow? No, it, it's it's fast. Uh, you go from one thing to the other with with a lot of a lot of effort. You know, I think we all had coaches who told us there's no walking on my field, um, and I don't know if Stark has ever said that, uh, or I haven't been an earshot for it. Uh, but that's kind of been how it has operated, and that's not just uh, with with his players. You know, he's been uh, keeping his coaches accountable as well um, throughout some of the drills. So. It's it's fast. It's intense. They are not letting up at all at this juncture. And uh, it's just I think it, it, it indicates how high the stakes are. Um, of course, it's the final four. It's the college football playoff. Like this is a, a spot in the national championship that's on the line. And Texas hasn't been able to contend for something like that in so long. So um, it looks like after kind of assessing his team and seeing how where they were and things like that, he's he's keeping it intense and getting them to what they hope is is not a finish line, but a starting gate for one last week. Oh, that's awesome. Eric, over to you. Like, what what is the significance of having this game at this time in New Orleans, in Louisiana? How does that affect recruiting? How does that affect the brand? Well, it's fantastic marketing. You know, when Sark got the job, he, you know, it was a good thing that he, they didn't get a native Texan that, that had all the state pride where you have to get, you know, 25 of 26 commits all have to be from inside the state lines or, if you don't do that, you're a traitor. Uh, he came in with a much more global view, you know, saving uh, recruiting nationally. USC recruited Southern California, but also nationally. Uh, so he kind of had a, a larger view of, of what the landscape was, the, the type of players you need, where you have to go to be able to get them. Uh, when he put together this staff, he got Bo Davis and Terry Joseph on, and immediately he started attacking Louisiana. And, you know, it's, it's kind of coming full circle for him. Uh, Terry Joseph has very deep roots in the area. That Texas has seven, uh, seven guys on the, on the team right now, I believe. They signed one in uh, in 2024 in Wardell Mack from New Orleans. Uh, they've got a couple targets in the 2025 class. And this is fantastic advertising for them. It's marketing. Uh, New Orleans, in some ways, is the gateway to the SEC country. And as Sark said in his signing day press conference, or actually when he got to the airport in New Orleans, 
Um, he said they joke a lot of times that, you know, they don't know where East Texas ends and Louisiana begins. And, you know, that's a joke that I think everybody's made that's ever driven from Tyler to Shreveport. And uh, not a lot changes in America if you do that. Uh, and if you go from Beaumont to New Orleans or Baton Rouge, it's, it's very similar as well. So, uh, you know, they don't buy into these arbitrary state lines. that They're meaningless as far as recruiting. Uh, you know, they're seeing Louisiana and, and southern, southern Louisiana in particular as, as part of their territory. And not only is the timing good for them as far as who they have on staff and, and the fact that, that uh, Sark has this more global view, you know, LSU isn't quite LSU right now uh, from, from a recruiting standpoint. You know, they're looking out of state a little bit more than they have in the past. And so the door's wide open and, uh, you know, the, Texas is uh, looking, looking to run right through it on Monday night. Is this a time for the coaches? Do they, do they spend any time during this period recruiting or is this, are they just laser focused on the game? Oh, uh, well, you know, a guy like Jabori Antoine, who's uh, from Westgate High School, the same the same school as Derek Williams, the uh, the, the talented freshman safety. He's going to be made aware that that, that Texas is, is in town. Wardell Mack, who's who's waiting to get on campus in January. He's going to be made aware that Texas is right down the street. Come check out a bowl practice. Uh, they'll be they'll be hitting up Harlem Berry, one of the top uh, running backs in the country uh, for 2025. Come check out a bowl practice. You know that uh, they're definitely going to be marketing this and using it to their advantage. But the focus for the most part, of course, is going to be on the game. That's awesome. The grind never stops. Ian, we talked earlier this week about three things that we can do or three things that we can look for in this game. I know that you and Drew and Paul have all been breaking this game down extensively, but for the general fan, they're sitting there, the game kicks off. What are three things you would like to see early that will help you understand how this game is going to go? Well, I think one is going to be, can Texas run the ball? Um, it's just Texas Texas is a pass first team. Washington is going to be concerned about the Texas passing game. They're going to come into this knowing like we can't let Xavier Worthy and Adonai Mitchell just bury us from the outset. So uh, there will probably be opportunities for Texas to run the ball. Um, whether they want to do it just as a change of pace or if they're going to, if Sark tries to control the game, either way, their success early on and in, in moving the Huskies around and allowing them to either move the ball and set up shots or to control the game is really going to matter. Number two, um, every team that has played Texas has basically conceded the point against uh, Tavondre Sweat and Byron Murphy. Like Oklahoma State came in with the, the nation's winner, the Doak Walker Award for the best running back. And they didn't even really try to run the ball unless Sweat and Murphy were, were getting spelled on the sideline. Um, I'm very curious to see what, Washington does just to mitigate their impact on the game. Do they run and hide from them? Are they afraid of, of asking Penix to, to, to hang back in the pocket and throw the ball down the field? Are they just trying to get the ball out quick? Um, how, how do they handle that, that challenge from Texas? You know, do they take it seriously and do they have anything good for mitigating it? Um, and then finally, every time one of these teams makes it to the red zone early in the game, Ignore what the score is early. You have to pay attention to whether they get points out of those early drives or not. Those, you know, time and time again, a team can can take an early lead on field goals, but then it turns out that those field goals not being touchdowns buries them at the end of the game. Texas has great red zone defense. They want to be able to stop Washington in the red zone. Up until Oklahoma State, it was a big concern for the Texas offense, whether or not they could punch the ball in once they got down the field. Those, you only get one shot in this game. So those four point margins between a field goal and a touchdown could be it for you. You got to 
got to tally those up. That's amazing. And I, like I said before, I know that this has been broken down uh, to the point of ad nauseum at InsideTexas.com. So for further information, please, please log in. Please subscribe at InsideTexas.com for more in-depth information on this. And this this wouldn't be an appropriate roundtable with Ian if we didn't bring in young Paul to give us that wild card. Paul, what are you seeing in this game? We've got one shot, one opportunity, according to Ian. He's been listening to the 8 Mile soundtrack. Timely. <laughs> He's a Michigan native. I appreciate the enthusiasm. Uh, we'll deal with Michigan next round, maybe. Uh, here are the wild cards that I see with this game. So if you're a Big 12 aficionado and a Big 12 fan, you always associate effective high-level offense with fast pace. Washington, like Texas, is actually pretty deliberate in its pace. And there's two reasons for that. One, Kalen DeBoer loves to be able to joystick his quarterback, his excellent quarterback, from the sideline and actually get the one right play call, right? It's, it's what I call the Anton Chigurh model. You use the one right tool. You don't just spam the defense with volume. That's one reason. The other reason is he understands complementary football. He understands the best way for the Washington defense to play effectively is to play as few downs as possible. Because the more possessions add up, the more plays add up in aggregate, the more the Washington defense falls off a cliff. And that was key to their success in beating Oregon three times in the last 18 months, right, if you include last year. And that's also key to them having this winning streak, uh, which they've well-earned and deserved. However, they've not seen an elite defensive line this year. If you say Oregon, I'll respectfully respond that you're wrong. There was only one high-level defensive line in the pack, and that was UCLA, and Washington didn't face them. They are going to face a high-level defensive line in Texas and one with depth. And there is an opportunity, a wild card, if you will, for Washington to come out with pace. And if they do that, you'll notice two things. One, it's the best opportunity to negate the Texas pass rush. Two, it's the best opportunity to short-circuit Pete Kwiatkowski's own deliberations from the sideline. He likes to be deliberate as well, not only with his play calls, but with his substitution patterns, how he matches the opposing personnel. Uh, Washington can go five wide. They can put two tight ends out there. They'll do bunch formations. They, they'll line up in a lot of different ways to see how you line up on them. And then, of course, the ultimate goal for them is to throw the ball down the field. So watch the pace battle because there is a strong argument for Washington on offense to go pace. However, if they go at too high of a pace, they're going to expose the Washington defense against the Texas offense, which I would actually argue has as good or better a matchup in terms of, of the game and the ability to put up points. So look for that. Uh, the other wild card, I'd say, on the Texas side is Cedric Baxter has played through injury. He's a young freshman, certainly a bright future for that young man. He's not a tackle breaker. And Washington does struggle in the run game. However, they're typically able to keep a lid on the run game in terms of explosives, unless they encounter high-level speed. Texas has those players, Jaden Blue and Keelan Robinson. A wild card for the Texas offense might be to play those gentlemen a little bit more and try to get more explosives in the running game, particularly when Washington is scared of Worthy, Sanders, Mitchell, Whittington, all those weapons, not to mention the fact that Blue and Robinson are very dynamic on the edge as pass receivers. So I think that's a major high-level uh, battle and tension that's going to go on. Baxter is the best pass protector of that group. 
However, I think Blue and Robinson have the best upside. Quick fact on this wild card fact for Texas. Washington averages 11 missed tackles per game. A missed tackle on Jaden Blue could be a 60-yard touchdown. A missed tackle on Cedric Baxter might be 8, eight 10 yards. And uh, in this high leverage, high, you know, high pressure sort of game, you want the 60-yarder potential. The other final wild card I'll leave you with is, is health. I think that a lot of people are seeing this game through the optic of Washington's restoration of health. And that's a good way to look at it. We know now that Michael Penix battled through a cracked rib through several games. He was supposed to be a scratch in, in some of those games, but he battled through it. And that is responsible for the margin in some of those games. If any of you are looking at Washington Stanford or Washington Arizona State to understand the Husky team we're going to play, you're, you're delusional. And that's not who Texas is going to play. And, and I'm, our coaches are smart enough to understand that's not the team they'll play. However, understand that Texas also benefited. Quinn Ewers more, it was more banged up than we've been led to believe, and we all know he was banged up. Jatavian Sanders operating at 70% by the end of the year. He's now at 100. My understanding is he will play a major role in this game plan. And then, of course, finally, Xavier Worthy did have a sprain. He's okay now. He's running around just fine. The guy's made out of vulcanized rubber, as Eric has said before. He's got the Vince Young genetics. Uh, but had we played Washington the week after the Big 12 title game, Worthy would not have been able to play or, or likely been a, a scratch at some point through the game. So understand that the wild card of health benefits Texas every bit as much as it benefits Washington. Paul, I think there's something to your pace point because I looked up the, uh, the three worst defensive performances this year for Texas. Number one, easily, Oklahoma, and that's Jeff Levy, pace, tempo, tempo, go, go, go. Number two, U of H, Dana Holgerson. Can't remember exactly how much pace they use, but it's a part of what he does. Number three, Kendall Bryles, TCU. So those three were above 390 total yards, and that pace may be something that Kalen DeBoer looks at. I know you can, you can overcome a, a poor defense if you keep scoring more points than the other team. Uh, so that that may be something you look at, but that kind of goes in with your third point with health. That Texas isn't five weeks into a season, or you know, coming off of a loss, or in the middle of November. Like they've had a good amount of breaks uh, in order to to get healthy. Um, so and then I, I had a question. You know, pace is part of some types of offenses. It could be one for. Uh, for Texas could be one for Washington. Like I mentioned, Oklahoma, it's a key part, but Ian, this isn't really an air raid offense. Is it? They pass it a lot. And Pete Kwiatkowski had a lot of great experience shutting down air raid offenses like Mike Leach's and even uh, Zach Kitley's versus Texas tech the last week of the season. But this one doesn't necessarily fit into that air raid formula or, or tree, does it? No, they're a lot more multiple uh, than that. They have a run game for one. Like if you totally sell out to stop the Washington passing game, they will run like GT counter and power down your throat with Dylan Johnson. They use tight ends. They have <clears throat> lots of them. And a lot of them are pretty good. And um, they'll, they'll play games like Cirque does and moving guys to different positions to get matchups and throw the ball around. I'm really curious um, – to Paul's point, if they just come into this game and say, the only way we win this game is we fling the ball around, we go fast, 
we avoid those big tackles and we take them out of the game and we just try to win 52 to 45. Or if that's something that they turn to like sort of like Kansas State did, where Kansas State tried to run their head against the wall for almost two quarters and then said, well, nope. And then they switched to tempo and throwing the ball around. Um, and I wonder if, if, if they don't do it from the outset, is it too late or can they get back into the game with that strategy? Yeah, I think that's one of the benefits for Texas all season has been able to uh, make teams one dimensional with their defensive line, you know, take away the run game. But I'm wondering if that's uh if that's not exactly what you want, uh, you know, that some of the, t- one of the, some of the teams had to throw their ways back way back into the game, you know, Kansas state did TCU did uh, does Texas want to make them one dimensional. That, that's to me a, an intriguing point throughout the game. Something to watch. So one thing to note on that point, Ian uh, Washington's greatest success, just like Sark, Sark and Deborah share some DNA in terms of how they approach the game. Uh, Washington is most effective throwing on play action. In fact, Michael Penix has thrown nine interceptions this year. All nine came from straight dropbacks. So the notion that Washington is this wild, wide open team, they are, but within a certain context, they would rather do these things out of play action and try to predict your coverages and dictate your coverages and your personnel groups, just like Sark does. They're not lining up in five wide and just throwing the ball around like crazy. Now, they're capable of that, and frankly, I think it would hurt Texas if they did that. The problem is they're going to have to pay the butcher's bill on the other side of the ball. And the falloff from Washington's defensive line and pass rush when they have to substitute versus Texas and their defensive line and trying to get a pass rush with their backups, it's massive. In fact, I'd argue two or three of the Texas primary backups on the defensive line would be starters at Washington. So – you know, keep that in context that there's a longer game to this. And if that does happen, you're going to have a high variance football game and either team being down by 10 or 14 in the second quarter is irrelevant to the game outcome. Whereas the Alabama Michigan game being down 10 in the late second quarter may feel like you've got a a mountain to climb. So I think it's going to be very interesting. My guess is that Washington will use pace, but they'll use it selectively and they'll use it early in the game to throw us off try to get a lead, and then uh, I think that they'll try to be judicious with also protecting their defense because I expect Texas to come out guns a-blazing. Uh, this notion that Texas should ball control on offense and that we should just play a certain style to possess the ball and, and have throwaway runs, even if it, you know we don't like the, bat, the box matchup, we need to put the foot on the gas. And, and I think actually a shootout, I don't see the Texas – being at any disadvantage in that situation any more than Washington. Washington plays a lot of close games. Plenty of those close games were played in the 20s and, and low 30s. They're, they're not, they don't want to play games 56 to 52. There's nothing about Kalen DeBoer that coaches that way. Uh, they just end up that way sometimes because their offense is great and sometimes their defense gets worked over. Um, I'm kind of curious. You, you brought up a point. It's like, how, how do we want to win this game? or uh, like a thought process for, for Kalen DeBoer? Like, how do we want to win this game? Do you, do you want to win this, like you said, 56-52? I'm, I'm wondering if it, if it does become that, like what does that open up? Because it feels like that just opens up more opportunities for Texas uh, to, you know, get the ball in Xavier Worthy's hands, get the ball into, you know, Adonai Mitchell's hands, uh, let, let Jatavian Sanders work underneath. Like you mentioned, like 
even though he can get into a shootout, and I think you made a good point, like he probably doesn't want to because the offense that Texas has is can go point for point with, with Washington and can probably do it in a little bit more balanced fashion uh, on both sides of the ball as well. Yeah, I've run that simulation a few times, whether the, whether or not they get in a shootout. And it seems to me that they would want to stay away from that. The Texas defense is more likely to get big stops than Washington's defense. And I think I think that's the bottom line there. You, you know, if you want to if you're DeBoer, you're more likely to want to possess the game. But like like Paul said, you know, you're going to pick your spots on when to use tempo. But like again, like Paul said, he shares DNA with Sark. Sark's probably going to do the same exact thing. That's One great. thing I will point out uh, that might be key in this game. Uh, People like to harken back to the Alamo Bowl, and I would caution people about that because I know that happened in December of last year, and it feels like it was not so long ago, and it wasn't. Texas is a different team. And Washington, although they have many of the same personnel, they're a different team too. And those matchups, there's individual things you can point to that are very useful, actually. But on the whole, Texas's best scout is going to come from watching Washington's this year. Just as I assure you, Washington's best scout will come from watching Texas this year because this year's Texas at their peak, playing last year's Texas at the peak at their peak is, is no contest, right? So I would say that be cautious about that. However, now that I added all that, here's my fact. Texas had 55 true passing dropbacks to defend in the Alamo Bowl. Do you know how many times they got pressure on Penix? A lot. Wait, really? What? One out of 11, every 11 snaps, they got what they call true pressure, meaning really? you the throw, timing, or pace of the quarterback. Uh, that can't happen, obviously, and this defense has grown. Uh, Texas has to get pressure on Penix. Penix is not a scrambling quarterback. He's a retreating quarterback. That's his version of a scramble. Continuous retreat. Throwing off his back foot half the time, yeah. uh, YOLO ball on an extended uh, option route deep down the field. And by God, they hit these things seven out of 10. So Texas has to find a way to get pressure. It can't come late. We can't do all this Dublé blitzing stuff. And we can't line up a guy far out on the bunch formation and have him be the blitzer. The ball already be out. You've got to bring pressure up inside. You've got to get Anthony Hill, Jalen Ford, Sweat, Murphy, Broughton, Collins, all pushing the pocket, all attacking that 280-pound center, and their left guard, who's the weak spot of that offensive line and pass protection. Texas has to do it. They've got to be relentless. And as I said, they're the only defensive line that Washington will play this year uh, that has the ability to do that. Oregon is not on the same level. And, and people who try to pretend that Texas is far more physical, far stronger, far more violent than Oregon. And uh, I think th the best way that you win this game is to make Washington feel that from the first snap on. So the question is, we, we've talked all the time, the, the entire time we've talking about them, what can they do? What should they do? Let's talk about whether they will do it or not. So it's time for those predictions. All right. We're, we're coming up on the game. It's time to put our money where our mouth is. Paul, where do you see this going? I am going to be uh, very square here uh, in this respect that, Everyone's expecting a little bit of a shootout, and I think it does end up that way. Um, you might have a halting start. You might have a quick start, and maybe the defenses catch their breath a little bit. I think ultimately Washington is a difficult team to separate from, 
And there's a reason for that. They're deeply experienced. And having a really good quarterback and three NFL receivers and a really good offensive mind is sort of a college football cheat code. And I think that will keep them in the game. I think Texas is going to put 38 points on the board. I think they're going to have over 500 yards of offense. And uh, I think they're going to win 38-31. I don't know if that's Texas coming back from a little trailing margin in the third quarter or if Texas holds on. I'm not sure. Uh, There's a lot of ways that script can play out. But I like Texas in this game, and I think they're going to play for the national title. Very nice. All right. All right. The person that we're not allowed to call boss, we'll bring him up next. Eric, what are you thinking with this game? Yeah, I think uh, I think Texas is going to be able to run the ball. And, and because of that, they're going to be able to uh, keep Washington off balance and really open up the passing game. Uh, at the same time, I think the defense is going to be able to get more stops than, than Washington. Uh, I just like the overall talent. Texas is a big advantage this year, really over any opponent if they're playing their A game, is they've got uh, elite skill talent and elite defensive line. Uh Teams might have one or the other, but not both. And to me, that's the trump card for Texas. Uh, and while while Washington has those dynamic receivers, Texas has dynamic receivers and a dynamic tight end. Uh, I just think the matchups favor Texas, and I've got them 37-27. All right, there we go. We're still keeping this relatively close, given the, the offenses that we're dealing with. Ian, same to you. Where do you see this going? I think, uh, you know, Joe was talking about simulations and different ways the game could be played and how it could, how it could turn out based on different styles. Washington, it feels like has a narrow range of ways this game can be played where they can come out ahead. Texas could play it on a few different levels and still come out ahead because they have more playmakers on defense and they have maybe more options on offense just because of the defense they're facing. So I think I'm picking Texas 35 to 27 I think Sark may opt to just not go slow or control the game necessarily, but to uh, just be looking to score early, score often, hold the ball, and uh, just try to choke any chance of Washington getting any, you know, life in this game away from them. And then, uh, but I do think it'll be hard to keep Washington from making a, a charge at some point in the game for the reasons Paul said is just they have a, a brilliant offensive mind, a veteran quarterback and NFL receivers. So they're going to get some points. Um, 35, 27. Maybe I should have said something more like 42 to 31, but it is what it is. It's, well, yes, these are, these are obviously written in stone. So this will be on your gravestone, Ian. I hope you're right. All right. Hey. To you cookie bringing us in the rear here. What do we got? Oh my god. You did so good. Oh my god. Man. The show was going so well, Joe. Hmm. Y'all like field goals. I like touchdowns. I think this one's gonna be 42-35. I think that each team's gonna be able to to find success against the secondaries that they're gonna face. That's you know, Texas has a good one, but it's not a great one. Um, and they're facing a great wide receiver core. And I don't think you can say that Washington has a great secondary against the great Texas wide receiver and core. I know Longhorns have had offensive struggles in the red zone and a lot of defensive successes, but I think the offenses may have the advantage here. Maybe a uh, uh, just the 20 yarder night for, for Burt Auburn, not so much the forties and, and thirties that you see every now and then when he's in the, when Texas gets in the red zone and stalls. And I think, uh, I think Texas even adds a defensive one as well, because if, 
we think they're going to, if we think Washington's going to air it out as much as they probably are with Byron Murphy and, and Tavondre Sweat there in the way, just probability with, with numbers tells you the more opportunities they have, that's just more opportunities. And I think Texas is going to take advantage of one and maybe get a defensive touchdown in the, in the process. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. That is it. We are bringing you everything that we possibly can in this these waning moments before this game that we've all been anticipating now for, for almost the entirety of a month. For more details, please log in to InsideTexas.com. This is just scratching the surface on the information that's available to you there. For those of you traveling to the game, please be safe. Remember that the left lane is meant for passing only. We know some people that drive the speed limit over there, and those people are assholes. All right. Thank you very much for being here today. We thank our, our team. We've got Ian. We've got Eric. We've got Paul. And we've got Joe. And I am LC. I really appreciate your time. Hook them. 